Chris Kalsa here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First to Run, Matt and I discuss David Harbour as John McClane as Santa Claus in Violent Night. Santa Matt is forced to confront or perhaps revel in his violent past when he becomes the only hope to save a naughty family from some even naughtier thieves on Christmas Eve. Then Kate Blanchett plays the titular tar, a conductor on the edge, bro, fighting back against the woke culture and perhaps her own ego. There's the Holly and Jolly rundown of the big releases on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. And then Matt and I are going to close out the big show by sharing our five favorite unconventional movie weapons. So suit up, grab yourself the brimmed bowler hat, and I'm assuming probably a cattle gun. It's going to be another rambunctious episode of the first run. Let's start everything off with a clip from Violent Night. A bunch of new bad guys showed up there on the naughty list. I'm sorry, I think this is it, kid. It is the action comedy Christmas film that I'm pretty sure you've been waiting for. Uh, have I been waiting for this? That's interesting. Santa sounds pretty disillusioned there. I'm a little worried about the uh, jolly old elf. So what is this mm-hmm. film all about? It's Christmas Eve. Santa, as you say, is making his rounds and he is disillusioned with the Christmas spirit. Uh it's not holding the same pull for him. In fact, he likes to drink. doesn't even want to be upright anymore. He stops at a very wealthy person's house where we soon discover that they could be sitting on a large sum of cash and some bad guys are there to take it. So Santa has to fight back to save Christmas. Wow. That sounds great. Matt, is Violent Knight trying too hard to be a cult favorite or is it just a nice kind of fun over-the-top kind of blackish not like black comedy but more just a what's the word i'm looking for just something that's against the norms there mm-hmm. trying to take something that's generally pure like a bad santa but mm-hmm. for the action genre okay yeah um i think somebody got tired of listening to is die hard a christmas movie and they just decided to make die hard a christmas movie um with down to the vault and the cash and the double crosses and everything else. So I think uh, this is fine. Um, I'm usually a fan of David Harbour, um, although he left me, like, I felt like he was just okay in this. Like, I felt uh-huh. like he was phoning it in a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, it's got some decent action scenes. I think really when it gets going and uh, Santa throws off his shackles to become his viking self or whatever the hell he was again is uh is is fun but it's got its ups and downs yeah i think harbor was an inspired casting choice Mm -hmm. i think he would be perfect for the role but i feel like just like you're saying with him and with much of the film i think it's a movie too enamored with its own premise and not so focused on storytelling mm-hmm. and coming up with something interesting and original. Now, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it because I did. I did <laughs> laugh out loud quite a few times. I think the violence in the action is it's strong enough, if not particularly uninspired. But there are some unusual weapons used, hence mm-hmm. the uh, inspiration for our top five this week. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's not great. But sometimes, Matt, good is good enough. And I feel like that's the way things are. I mean, it's a little too, just like you say, just a holiday adaptation of Die Hard. I mean, we have a kill squad that comes in, which isn't really so much as a twist as an ability to amp up the body count for Santa. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all entirely too formulaic. 
but I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it because mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. I mean, I had a good time with it. It just didn't break any new ground. I think this is, but I think, you know, this is really the only thing I can think of that's like this, um, where it's like a straight up holiday movie that is an action movie. So I think it'll make it into some people's rotations. And then 20 years from now, when we're on death's door, people will be talking how great holiday, uh, violent nights is and <laughs> how it's part of their, it's right. It's right before it's a wonderful life kind of thing. Yeah, there are some people that I follow on film Twitter. Uh, as you can, it, it's weird. It feels the whole site seems doomed. Feels doomed to me now. It was funny. Like a couple weeks ago, it felt like it was gonna just kind of just collapse in on itself due to technological yeah. issues. But it seems to have survived that. Yeah. Now it's becoming a place where I like. I just don't know if I even want to go anymore. Yeah. I've been really considering. I've dropped all social media except for Twitter uh, just for because of the podcast, and I'm not even that active on it anyway, and I'm thinking about just closing the door, that last last one, just letting it go. I, the problem, the, a big problem is that the algorithms are now pushing stuff into my feed that I have no interest or follow or I, do, I don't engage with in any capacity. Mm-hmm. And it, but I can't tell you how many times I've been recommended to follow Elon Musk and how it's, who I don't follow, but I haven't blocked or muted. But his stuff shows up in my feed all the time, even though I interact with nothing in that circle. Right. And I'm getting all this other crap. So if we can get focus, Chris, focus. <laughs> there are people on Twitter that I follow and I respect who really seem to love this film. And it's really kind of everything they were looking for. And I guess I can see that perspective. I don't know if this would make my kind of annual rotation. I would recommend you check it out. I think it's fun enough. And I actually had some kids in the theater with me. And I saw online, too, the director, I think it was, or the one of the writers, Josh Miller, was saying how, like, he's getting lots of, like, tweets from people. How it was like, they, they parents brought their kids. This was the first R-rated movie they saw in the theater with their parents. <laughs> and there is a weird kind of fun communal kind of feel to it at times. Yeah. Um, with that, I could see this being like that because the, the, the violence at times is graphic. Um, it's still kind of in dark scenes, so it's never, I think, overly gross. But I don't know. Like I said, it's it's good enough. It's good enough. It's like you said. It's just it's just a couple guys in their dorm room said, "Why don't we actually make <laughs> Die Hard into a Christmas movie?" Pretty much, yeah. And that's what we get. Matt, it's I was happy that there, there's a there is a new Haven name drop, which I appreciated. Oh, I, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, I love Edie Patterson, who shows up as the uh, the sister or daughter of our Beverly D'Angelo, which is another great casting that's call. True. Yep, but I love Bean Dip, and I'm always happy when she shows up on stuff. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's fine, man. I don't know what what is, really is there to add about Violent Night. It's Nothing really. I mean, you know, if this is, you know, right away from watching the trailers, if this is in your wheelhouse or not. Yeah. I mean, it tells you exactly what it is. It there's no really deeper sub subtext to this thing. So, you know, if 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 you are intrigued by the trailers, you're go check it out. You probably have a good time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I'm giving Violent Night a B minus because, like I said. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I'll ever revisit it again. I doubt it because it is so formulaic and it is something we've seen a dozen times. I know what I would, I'd rather watch Bad Santa mm-hmm. if I want to see a Santa, a Santa Claus uh, being uh, inappropriate and vomiting on people because he's too drunk. Then sure. that's that's my go-to <laughs> for the uh, yeah super drunk and violently ill and perverted Santa. Well, this Santa isn't perverted though, so that's at least that's good. That's something. Yeah, I'm going to give it a B- minus as well. I mean, it's enjoyable enough. I don't think it's any breaking any kind of new ground. And it's not certainly in, in holiday films or Christmas films, but it's it's fun enough. Or action films, I should say. Yeah. Do you have any particular uh, of the fight scenes that won you over at all? Or you're like, oh, that was pretty cool. I don't know if it would be the the Christmas star or the um, maybe when the hammer finally comes out. Yeah, that, that scene in the shed is pretty good. And then, you know, of course... The realistic home aloneing is also kind of good as well. Yeah, yeah, that was that's fair. Yeah, fair enough. If you'd seen Violent Night, shoot us an email at feedback at the first run dot com. I like how we're kind of like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> Check it out. 
don't rush out to the theaters. I guess you don't have to. Wait, you know, I don't know. Or me. I don't. Whatever. I don't know. It's fine. Matt, coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, December 13th, is a 4K that I have pre-ordered. And I am going to be running out to my mailbox Tuesday morning, or at least peeking out the window every 10 minutes to see if the mailman shows up. I have not had this on physical media. I think I think I have it on DVD, but I had it on VHS and DVD. I don't think I ever upgraded the blue. And this includes the director's cut that explains one of the key relationships in the film that I never understood when I was younger. Okay. And we can talk about all of that after this. You must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power until the time of the gathering. What gathering? When only a few of us are left, we will feel an irresistible pull towards a faraway land to fight for the prize. Come on! Master! Never lose your temper. If your head comes away from your neck, it's over. You Spanish peacock! Matt, of course, Highlander is being released in 4K. It is a Dolby Vision HDR presentation. It was previously restored, I believe, by Studio Canal in the UK. There's a really nice Studio Canal box set with uh, posters and like cards and a bunch of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, I just didn't want to spend the money to import that. I don't really need all that stuff. And it looks like the 4K and then the Blu-ray basically has all the same features. So the Blu-ray includes a making of Highlander, some deleted scenes and an archival interview with Lambert. There is some also, it's really, I think it's all archival stuff. And the ones I'm really excited about is a kind of magic music of the immortals, a featurette on the soundtrack. Because one of the great things about Highlander is the queen it's not really a soundtrack per se michael Kamen actually did like the score yeah but queen provided a bunch of music i guess they had a sour experience with flash gordon go ahead so i want to ask you a question though as a super fan here now i am a huge nerdy yes. fan of, of all things nerdy but i never connected with highlander i always thought it was kind of cheap really and i didn't i didn't well, understand yeah. what the love the love for it was so do you think that the fact that it is Queen and it is that is one of your favorite uh, groups, and the fact that you're so enamored with scores has really softened over a lot of the the kind of quality of the film. No, absolutely not. I, I can verify. I can tell you why. First off, I'm not a particular fan of the score itself or Michael mm-hmm. Kamen. I don't think it's particularly good. Uh, but the Queen stuff is great. But I can validate this because even though I grew up listening to Queen as a kid. I didn't identify... I'm going to be perfectly honest with all of you, all right? A lot of people may not know this, and I'm kind of be showing myself here. I didn't really jump in the Queen until Wayne's World. So oh, I, okay. I was raised on it, but my we didn't. it didn't have the impact on me mm-hmm. until I listened to Wayne's World. They had the massive Bohemian Rhapsody scene. Yeah. And then I went from there, and I revisited Queen. We had the Greatest Hits CD. Like the OG uh, Electra one that it was like out of print forever. Uh, and then I started listening to that CD nonstop, and then I dove back in. Now, I had seen Highlander a bunch of times, obviously, because Highlander's, what, 86? Wayne's World is 91? Sure. So, no. So, the Queen thing is not the reason why I love Highlander. I think it's more I watched it as a kid, and it's this sprawling, kind of over-the-top fantasy epic that it's just the right amount of ridiculousness. <laughs> and it's just really a beautiful... I don't know, a uh, tableau of 80s fantasy, you're right? Mm-hmm. And I just did something about it I've always loved. And it's got Connery in it, who is great. And I forgot, Matt, we keep saying Lambert is a, a French guy playing a, a Scottish guy, mm-hmm. and then Connery's a Scottish guy playing a Spaniard, but he's not. He's Egyptian. I've forgotten oh. that. Oh, okay. Not that, that, now, that changes everything. It clearly. does. I completely <laughs> view the movie completely different now. But anyway, yeah, so I'm very excited to be picking this up in 4K. There can be only one, Matt. But there were two other movies. But t- TV show. Which does, no, also doesn't make show. any sense to me. Because are, are like there are no more immortals being born? Like, do all the immortals that are ever going to exist exist on the world, like, at one point? Um, No, because there are people right that are older than Lambert, aren't there? 
Well, okay, so then I guess when does it stop? I mean, do you kill well, all I of think them? It, but then was they... it the second one? Were there aliens? That's the whole thing, and they are brought. They come to Earth for the battle. I don't know. I don't know. So Let's move one on. Kinda, yeah, <laughs> We're talking up, too much stuff. about Highlander. Anyway, one of the, I just want to mention quickly because the deleted scene. People might know. So Lambert's character, right? Um, McLeod, he has this relationship with this older woman. Then he meets a young woman and starts to kind of romanticize her. And everybody's like, "Well, what's going on? This other woman that he's clearly living with." Mm-hmm. what's going on with that relationship well in the deleted scene and it's in the director's cut that older woman there is actually a young child he rescued i believe from the nazis in world war ii gotcha so that's why um he ha- he's a father-daughter relationship with her gotcha. that's why there's no romantic involvement there also coming up, Matt, physical media, including a Blu-ray and 4K. I think I will be picking this one up, but at the right price, because I think it's really creepy. And then the final reveal, I think, is especially effective. And that's the recent horror film, Smile, mm-hmm. is being released. It includes Dolby Vision and Atmos audio track, audio commentary by the director. The original short film that inspired Smile, called Laura Hasn't Slept, and some more as well, including some deleted scenes. Would you be picking up Smile? Did you enjoy it enough? Yeah, I probably will pick it up once it hits the right price point. One for the kids, Matt. Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile is being released in Blu-ray and 4K. I hear it's actually pretty good. And there mm-hmm. is a sound chip O-ring, I guess, like slipcase that makes sounds. It's based on the children's book about a crocodile that lives in the city. The NYC, as the kids call it. <laughs> did you see this with uh, First Run Junior or no? I didn't, no. I think she's aged out of that some of this stuff. Okay. Where's she coming in at now? She's like 20? Uh, she's 11. 11. Okay. Yeah. The Woman King is being released. This is, um, uh, what am I talking about? It's a historical epic inspired by true events that happened in the kingdom of Dahomey, one of the most powerful states of Africa in the 18th and 19th centuries. This is a film featuring Viola Davis. That's what I was trying to pull her name. For some reason, mm-hmm. I couldn't get it. What else do we have coming up, Matt? A Ticket to Paradise featuring George Clooney and Julia Roberts is being released on physical media. I wanted to see this with Mrs. First Run, but the timing of it, unfortunately, never scheduled. But about two exes who find themselves on a shared mission to stop their love-struck daughter from making the same mistake they once made. Sad. Call Jane, Elizabeth Banks, and Sigourney Weaver star in this movie about a married woman, Matt, with an unwanted pregnancy in 1968 America. And she can't get a legal abortion, so she works with a group of suburban women to find help. Matt, Medong Sok is starring in this film, The Roundup. There is a regular Blu-ray and a media book edition, and I want to see these films. Now, he starred in Train to Busan, and then he played Gilgamesh in mm-hmm. The Eternals, and I've always really liked him, and it's supposed to be kind of a fun action series. This is the second film. The first one's called The Outlaws, mm-hmm. which is released in uh, 17. It's currently available on the Roku channel, so I want to check this one out, though, too. They're supposed to be very good. Dark Star Pictures is putting out Onoda, 10,000 Nights in the Jungle. When Japan surrenders at the end of World War II, soldier Hiro Onoda retreats into the jungles of the Philippines, continue the war himself for another 10,000 days. Slash back when Meika and her ragtag friends discover an alien invasion in their tiny Arctic hamlet. It's up to them to save the day. Utilizing their makeshift weapons and horror movie knowledge, the aliens realize you don't mess with girls from Pang. <laughs> the Minute You Wake Up Dead, Matt, is a film featuring Jamie Alexander, Cole Hauser, and Morgan Freeman. About a stockbroker in a small southern town who gets involved in an insurance scam with a next-door neighbor that leads to multiple murders. Not one. Multiple. Speaking of murders, American Murderer is coming out featuring Ryan Philippe and Adina Menzel. The System is a movie coming out featuring Tyrese Gibson, Terrence Howard, Jeremy Piven, and I love this name, and pardon my ignorance, Little Yachty, <laughs> which is spelled like yacht, like the boat. Oh, I know who he is. I'm assuming he is a hip-hop performer. He is. Little Yachty. That's a pun. And uh, Jack Reacher Season 1 is being released in Blu-ray and 4K from Amazon. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing the 1975 film Cooley High. A bittersweet tale of life in a black vocational high school in Chicago in 1964. The film follows two students through girl trouble, school trouble, and law trouble. It's a brand new 4K restoration supervised by the director, Michael Schultz. A new conversation between Schultz and film scholar Raquel Gates and more. Criterion is also putting out Todd Haynes' The Velvet Underground, which explores the multiple threads that converge to bring together one of the most influential bands in rock and roll. A brand new 4K master supervised by Haynes. Audio commentary featuring Haynes, outtakes, conversations, 
and complete versions of some of his avant-garde films excerpted that into the movie, including Piero Helzer's Venus in Furs from 1965. Criterion is also putting out three films by Mai Zetterling. We get Loving Couples, Night Games, and The Girls all get that. 2K Restorations. A Walk to Remember. Shot Factory is putting out the Shane West Mandy Moore film on Blu-ray, Matt, finally. I know that's been on your Christmas list for a long time. Robert Duvall's Assassination Tango, which he directed, wrote, and starred in. Vestron is putting out Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 through 5. Better Watch Out, Initiation, and The Toymaker, all on this Blu-ray set. They get audio commentaries, interviews, and more. A lot of these have been out of print for a very long time. So you can pick that up. And Investron 2, I think it's going to be pretty cheap. I think it's going to run you like 15 bucks. So that's not bad. The uh, classic BBC horror series Ghost Watch is being released. It's about four respected presenters and a camera crew. And they attempt to discover the truth behind the most haunted house in Britain. Matt, this was presented as a like documentary. But it was all mm-hmm. fake. It was one of those... One of those... Not mockumentaries. What do we call them? Found footage type things, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all fake. But people believed it was real, Matt, when they watched it. Includes a brand new 30th anniversary documentary on the making of the film and new audio commentary. Matt, the David Cronenberg film Spider is being released on Blu-ray, featuring Ray Fine, Miranda Richardson, and Gabriel Byrne. I'm really excited about this, Matt, because I had read and heard that this film was not going to be released on Blu-ray. I couldn't find anything about it. So I bought it on DVD for like two bucks about a month ago. Haven't watched it yet. And here we go. The Blu-ray is coming out in a week. <laughs> Kino Lorber is putting out the Hallelujah Trail. Gets a brand new 2K restaurant or that one uh, by MGM as well as a new audio commentary. Synapse is putting out Creature from the Black Lake with a brand new 4K restoration. About two men exploring the Louisiana swamps. And they were into a Bigfoot type creature. Not Bigfoot, but a Bigfoot type creature. Mm-hmm. Severin is putting out a bunch of late action uh, films from the 80s. I should say late 80s action films is probably the more appropriate way to say it. First off, Bruno Mattei's Cop Game from 1988. It's a brand new 2K restoration. 1989's Born to Fight. 1987's Double Target. Both get 2K restorations as well. Diabolic is putting out Maniac Driver Map, which is a Japanese kind of giallo about a deranged taxi driver who randomly stalks and kills various women on the streets of Tokyo. Diabolic's also putting out Nightmare Symphony, which is a limited media book with a soundtrack. There's only going to be 333 copies of that bad bear. We're talking about 4K's Matt with Highlander also being put out as Brian De Palma's Carrot in 4K. Scream Factory is putting it out with a set which includes like the pins and a poster and a whole bunch of stuff. But it's a brand new 4K restoration from the original camera negative from them. And also My Best Friend's Wedding is getting put out in 4K. As well as Paranorman, which is also getting a Steelbook release. Arrow is putting out Silent Running. It's the uh, Bruce Stern sci-fi film from the 70s in 4K as well. Matt, your straight-to-DVD pick of the week. Okay, I'm just going to... It's called Piranha Women. The tagline is, don't get them wet. From the fevered mind of indie exploitation movie guru and Emmy Award-winning director Fred Owen Ray, who also gave us Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, comes the ferocious full moon thriller. It's a movie, Matt, that bites in all the best ways. When Richard James becomes suspicious of his girlfriend's new experimental medical treatment, he grows even more concerned when she suddenly vanishes. In his frantic search for her, Matt, he discovers the secret society of beautiful women, all medically altered by the mysterious Dr. Sinclair. There's something less than human. They're piranha women. Get ready for the aqua teeth, I'm going to use the term boob, exploitation epic, filled with hot women, mad science, maniacal conspiracies, and monstrous memories. It's Piranha Women. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? Well, since you brought it up, I will move this one up to the front of the line. Um, you know what? If you can't wait for the physical media release of Smile, or maybe physical media is really not your thing, it is available for streaming on Paramount Plus and Epix, if you have Epix. Um, it is a pretty decent little uh, supernatural horror film um, that is uh, surprisingly entertaining. There you go. And I'm just throw out a reminder there, too. I don't think we may have mentioned it, but Barbarian is on HBO Max right now. If You, you son of a bitch. Video. I was holding on to that for another segment. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> no more suggestions from you. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, Mel, let's keep rolling in. And Spinny Penis talking about, what is it, Mel? How do we call it? I don't know. How do we describe this? Anyway, it's Tar. Let's listen. Time is the thing. Uh-huh. 
time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. Now, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right, time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. Together. That Todd Fields returns after a long absence. It's been 16 years since his last film, Little Children. Previous to that, he did In the Bedroom. Well, he's back with Tar, the story of Lydia Tar, who is not a real person, but a conductor who mm-hmm. is now about to record her final series in a group of symphonies. Is What is she doing, Matt? Is she doing Bach? No, Mahler's Fifth Symphony. Mm-hmm. And she, Matt, she's she's got some challenges, Matt. She uh, may or may not use her position to court people in her symphony for relations even though she is a married woman she may or may not be a little like egotistical as well but i don't know matt one thing i'm i'm sure about now is that i've been red-pilled bro because when i see what happens to people and they get canceled Mm -hmm. then uh yo man that's wrong it's it's totally wrong just because what, you sexually harass some people and maybe one of them ends up killing themselves? All of a sudden, you're the bad guy? <laughs> right. Right. Very true. Very true. Matt, Tar's got a lot going on, personified in Kate Blanchett's singular performance here. A performance, I think, of dedication and fierceness that is fantastic to watch. What were your thoughts on Tar, Matt? I, I think certain for some Oscar nominations... What do you think? Did you enjoy the uh, story of our self-tortured yeah. condu- conductor there? So I, um, uh, so I'll be frank here. I was not in the mood to watch this film um, when we went to when I went to go see it. I was dreading having to spend you know two and a half plus hours watching this thing. And I will say this: it's to its credit, and as much as I like Kate Blanchett that this thing really lives and dies on her performance. And I would say that it is, she is captivating throughout. I mean, she kind of grabs a hold of you, even if whether you like her character or not, which I don't think you're supposed to, but she does no. have some nuance. Um, you know, and, it, and it's an interesting choice to kind of set this thing in this stuffy world, this very kind of sheltered world of classical music that actually has a very high bar and exclusivity in, to entry, and it's very exclusive, and, you know, it, it keeps people out and kind of bring this kind of, this type of thing insofar as like a Me Too brutality of it, the cutthroatness of it, that is, that's all underneath that uh, is really kind of fascinating to watch. Yes. I yes, Matt. I will agree with that, Matt. Good show. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. No, I what I think I like about Todd Fields' film too, which is really interesting, is that okay, he now he hasn't made a film in sixteen years, but that's not means he hasn't tried. He's had mm. a couple of projects he was close to producing. One of like some long form show. I think it was gonna be on Showtime or something with Daniel Craig that didn't come to fruition because it was gonna cost it's like hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm like, we can't, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. But his focus now, Matt, seems to be on, from what he's said in interviews, is creating films that defy filming. He wants to do really difficult product, projects. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, too, he's entering in to kind of his, and I'm saying this cautiously, his Kubrickian phrase. <laughs> I feel that he is doing these because he's so focused on craft here, particularly too with Tar's like sensitivity to like sound, right? There's a lot, and I watched, was able to watch this with headphones on, which I think really amplified the presentation. Mm-hmm. Because she reacts to certain little sounds and drops and stuff that are not only perfectly kind of placed within the film, but like within the spatial awareness of the film itself. It's really fun because a couple of times it'll happen is like she'll react to the sound and I'll do the same thing because I have my headphones on, right? 
and uh, she's obsessed with this kind of stuff. And it, it will. She's so focused on a composing her final composing this piece, and then recording this Mahler symphony as well. And it's fascinating watching all, how all these things kind of intrude into her life. Because it's not just the music, Matt. It's the decisions she makes and how she treats mm-hmm. the people around her mm-hmm. as well. And everything kind of unravels for her because just of her arrogance and her decisions that she makes. Like there's one scene when she's circling this young cellist, right? To bring her into the orchestra, the scene particularly where they're at dinner, right? There's this almost stalking kind of feel to it where you can almost like what? See the metaphorical drool from her fangs while she's Mm -hmm. having dinner with her, you know? And it's just... Lots of weird, interesting stuff like that. I think Todd Field does a really great, really uses a, a good job with the sound design. There's always almost this ambient sound throughout the entire film. And then occasionally they'll drop in like doors knocking or something will happen, right? That'll just kind of pull her out of whatever she's doing. And it's, I don't know, it was really fascinating. But I think I agree with you entirely that the film hangs on Blanchette. And I think this may be her best performance. I think before that I would have chalked it up painfully, I think to the uh, Woody Allen film that she did blue Jasmine, what mm-hmm. I was really blown away by her. In. And I think this is the best thing she's done since then. If not ever, of course, minus, you know, her cameo in hot fuzz. But <laughs> I think that, I don't know, Matt, I, I don't think fields is making a grand statement about cancel culture. There's been some talk on like the film Twitter is about that from particularly in the right, how this is Fields making this grand indictment on cancel culture, right? And because there's even this scene where she has this confrontation with this young student who does not want to engage in Bach given his misogyny and his past and such. And she kind of tears into him. And I don't think she's entirely wrong with mm-hmm. what she says. Mm-hmm. Being a failed artist myself, I, I get it. But the yeah. problem, it's not that, it's her arrogance is the issue it's her refusal to listen and accept other people's perspectives that i think is what ultimately leads to her her downfall so i think fields is more trying to show us this and then maybe potentially show our role in all this stuff but i don't think he's particularly taking a stance against cancel culture what do you think yeah i don't i wouldn't say that he's taking a stance against cancel culture i feel like he sides with the fact that if you do something that sh- deserves to be canceled, then that's just the result of your own actions. What I think is the more, what I personally think the thesis of this film is, um, is can you separate the art from the artist? Right. Right. So, you know, the whole Bach conversation, you know, you can think about whatever you want about the man, but box music is some of the best music ever put down. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I love Bach, but, and I can see what she's saying. So then the whole thing is, She's not just a conductor. She's an author. She is a composer herself. And the kind of, based on the trappings of where she lives and the kind of way people treat her, that she's very successful. And she's produced probably some excellent art. So then the question becomes, maybe as a subtext, at what point does her art survive, even if she no longer is a part of that world because of her own actions and rightly is removed from it, but does her art survive? And I think that's, that's probably the bigger question that he's trying to make here. I would agree with you entirely. I think that, um, I think for me, the greatest one in our lifetimes, Mm -hmm. particularly pop culture, pop music would be Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, when you think about that, I, for the first time in years, I actually listened to thriller last week. Yeah. That thing's still, (laughs) that's a great freaking album. Yeah. But for the most time, whenever he comes up on my shuffle, I I just I skip it every time because right. just the darkness of that of that man's life is so difficult for me. But then it's it's can you separate the art from the artist? It's so the thing is, is think about something again. I'll go back to the Bach example. I love Bach's music, but I know almost nothing about the man, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't I, I love Mozart. And other than he had some infatuation with farts and poop like i don't i i don't know anything about him and i think there'll come a point where there's some kid will put on michael jackson and it will have gone so far into the past and the kind of people who kind of lived those things are old or gone 
where suddenly all that's left is the art. And I don't think really it's going to matter that much. It'll be a much more academic exercise. And I think that's what happens to all of it. Interesting. Fair enough. All right, Matt. A couple of quick things, too. Nomi Merlan shows up in this as his assistant from uh, one of my most beloved films, right? Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I was happy to see her show up again. And then I have not listened to Satin Doll in years. And hearing that in the film, the nostalgia really came back for me. I was very deep into a jazz phase at one point in my life. And I feel like I need to revisit that. I have not really listened, sat down and listened. I mean, I've probably listened to Time Out probably once or twice a year. But I never really seemed to expand on Kind of Blue, too. I mean, just all the cliched classic stuff. Yeah. But I haven't really gotten back into jazz, and I feel like I want to after hearing Satin Doll again. Such a great little song. Matt. All right, so clearly it sounds like neither of us got red-pilled by Tar. So I think that's that's fine. I think that this will have a a lot of pull with the Oscars, because I think what field, one of the reasons why he's so successful is that there's an authenticity in the artistry of this film that I don't always get sometimes. Like, this is not Oscar bait, right? Yeah, We're not right. going through stuff. There's a there's a real... This film is a real work of art, really, I yeah. think. Buoyed by Blanchett's clearly Oscar-nominating... Oscar-nomination-worthy performance. If not win, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of other films we saw that would be better than this this year from a... Best actress perspective. I'm not coming up with anything off the top of my yeah. head, really. Although there's still some things out there that we haven't seen, so that's very true. We'll have to see how the rest of the year shakes out, Matt. I'm getting tar and a minus. I don't know what the minus is for. I don't know if it's a lack of brevity. I'm not sure, but <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give it an a minus as well. I think really the reason I'm gonna give it a minus is because as a film. I don't know insofar as like a piece of storytelling, it's anything groundbreaking, but the way it's presented and with such passion and Kate Blanchett's performance really elevate it. Absolutely. I think that this film in lesser hands would not have been as enthralling an experience and could have maybe gotten boring quick, mm-hmm. but Blanchett is able to, like you said, just kind of grab a hold of you and keep your your eyes on her the entire time she's that good in this Matt. you know what movie she's got coming out next year though What's to that? kind of double up with this borderlands oh the video game adaption yes yes oh, video nice. Game adaption. <laughs> nice you know what she you, i don't want to spoil the ending for you guys but that fits <laughs> <laughs> yes it does you got a chance to see tar which is currently still in theaters and available to rent and purchase online at least digitally Shoot mm-hmm. us an email at feedback at the first dot com. Matt, I'm hoping that this is the last super long movie we're going to see this year. I can't guarantee it, mm-hmm. but we've had a run of long yeah. movies the last couple of weeks. So I have. hopefully we'll take it a little easier on you next week. Who knows? But Matt, let's keep rolling, Matt. Let's wrap up the big show and talk about our five favorite unconventional movie weapons. You are a clever, resourceful man, Mr. Bond. Well, thank you. Perhaps too clever. Twice our paths have crossed. Let's leave it at that. I should think our first meeting would have convinced you. Oh, I see. You're worried about me not giving you a return game. Both of us know perfectly well what we are talking about, Mr. Bond. But I see that it is necessary to remind you. Our job! Many people have tried to involve themselves in my affairs. Unsuccessfully. the club secretary have to say <laughs> nothing because he owns the club Matt. that of course <laughs> is goldfinger with odd job and his bowler hat that's got the metal ring in it what yeah. i think is weird is that he throws it and it shaves the head off of the statue but when he throws it later and hits somebody in the head it just knocks him out <laughs> like he's like bounces off the head. he's got control he's got the, a good enough control to where he could do that fair enough you would think that would be in my top five matt and uh but no i think it's a little too cliched though i think my number one is probably the biggest cliche that you come up with if you know me in any capacity mm-hmm. but that's fine matt i think you went first last week right so i'll go first this week is that accurate okay. sure doesn't matter sure doesn't matt matter. my number five is now this was a movie all right yeah. okay it was 
And it's going to be from the film, and now for something completely different. Mm. Monty Python's sketch, but the killer joke that was developed in World War II and released upon the Germans. And you know, it was so deadly, Matt, that two people got a hold of it. They got, excuse me, a couple people got a hold of two words from the joke and translated it, and they were sent to the hospital. <laughs> I do remember that. That is an unappreciated classic of, uh, of Monty Python. So yeah, that's my number five, the killer joke. If you hear it, it will kill you. All right. All right. So my number five then is, um, we may see writing utensils appear multiple times on our lists here, but the first is a ballpoint pen that uh, Matt Damon used to stab a guy repeatedly um, in the apartment fight in the born identity. Um, An assassin comes to get him and you know, it. he has to take whatever he can to use at hand. And there is a pen that just goes in and out and it seems really painful and it makes weird little noises. And it's, it's, you know, a good use of a pen. I won't say it though. I won't no. say it though that it's that, mightier than something else. Smart. I appreciate your restraint. Yeah. Matt, my number four then is the power drill guitar from Slumber Party Massacre Two. <laughs> A great cheesy little eighties uh horror film and how the guy basically what comes out of her dreams to then come and kill all these young women. Am I remembering sure. that correctly? I haven't watched it in a very long time. Mm-hmm. All I remember though, he's got this kick ass big guitar and he plays it and then it's got a little drill power drill in the end and he does like right. and then uh, that's that so not pretty but uh that's my number four because it's just so ridiculous i love yeah. just a i would love to have been in that room with the writers kind of come up with that just mountains of cocaine yeah and then just blown their way through the plot for slumber party massacre too yeah somebody was probably sitting around saying we need a very subtle phallic symbol. It has to be subtle and understated. Yes. But what could it be? <laughs> um, all right. So my number four then is from Goldfinger, but it's not the hat. No. It's the gold paint. Uh, Apparently, you know, my aunt swore up and down that that actress really died. And that is a, really? a, a long-running uh, urban legend from the 70s and 80s that that actress really died. But... Goldfinger, um, he 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 paints a uh, one of his victims, uh, a, a a concubine, a conquest of James Bond, and he finds her body, and she's coated in gold paint. The implication being that the gold paint itself killed her. So therefore, it's my number four. Yeah, what is the whole thing is that you had to leave one patch uncovered, mm-hmm. or like the skin would suffocate, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, that was it. Interesting. My number three, then, is from a movie I have not watched in a very long time. I remember really liking it, and maybe it's time to revisit it. This is, yeah, I mean, I, I bought it on Blu-ray because it was so over the top. Paul Giamatti is the bad guy. Clive Owen is the good guy. And he kills somebody with a carrot. <laughs> he, this guy is going to, if I remember correctly, he's going, this woman is being, she's, this pregnant woman is running away from this guy, and he's chasing her, and they get into like a warehouse and he pulls out like I said a knife or like ah something but Clive intervenes and shoves a carrot through the guy into the guy's mouth and then punches it through the back of his neck <laughs> killing him and then from there he takes the carrot out and the carrot kind of goes on this adventure with him for the rest of the film so yeah that's my number three Clive Owen and it's pretty carrot. strong that's a pretty strong carrot it's a yes, pretty it strong carrot Dance. all right so my my second appearance of a writing utensil uh, on this list is um, from The Dark Knight. Uh, the Joker is going to show somebody a magic trick, and he puts a pen pencil sticking up uh, a racer side up on the actual table. And as one of the goons comes to take him away because everybody's just tired of his BS, uh, he slams the guy's face into the table, making the pencil disappear by embedding it into his brain. Ta-da. Pencil. Now, John Wick's pencil does not make the list for me on this one, just so you know. A fucking pencil. <laughs> yes, no. John Wick is a great one, too, but that Dark Knight... I remember watching that movie watching, in the theater when The Dark Knight came out. I think like opening day I went to go see it because I was so excited. And I was like, whoa! And I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. <laughs> so my number two, then, Matt, is... Now, it was introduced, I believe, in Return of the Living Dead, that mm-hmm. in order to kill a zombie, you have to basically sever the brainstem and just hit him in yeah. the head. 
Right, okay. And one way to do that is with your vinyl record collection. Right. From Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So the zombies are coming at them. They pull out their records and they start whipping them at them. They miss, they miss, they miss. And then they get one that hits right in the head there. And they, the guy drops. And my favorite part of those are looking at the records. Like, oh, we can't, we can't lose that one. And they put it back, <laughs> you know. So, But still, one of my most favorite scenes from Shaun of the Dead is when they use their record collection to uh, try and kill the zombies. Yeah, it's uh, great minds think alike. It's my number two as well. And... I can't remember. Do they sacrifice the Batman soundtrack? Because I would sacrifice it as well. The 1989 I, Batman soundtrack. I thought soundtrack. so. I think they did. They didn't even. They didn't even slow down. They were like, "Yeah, toss it." Absolutely. Well, you know, it's. Yeah, I was trying to think of one of the titles from that, and I, to make a joke out of it, off the top of my head, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I could not do it. There's Bat Dance. Trust. Okay, I can't sure. remember. I yeah. cannot remember at all. I can remember the songs, but I don't remember the names of any of them. Is... I know what Chris is doing this afternoon. He's going to blow through it real quick. Yeah, it's going to be... Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to see here. I think I have it. Yes, I do. Okay, The Future. <laughs> that was the one that was stuck in my head. Electric Chair, Arms of Orion, Party Man. How did I forget Party Man? Mm-hmm. Vicky Waiting, Trust, Lemon Crush, Scandalous. That's a good one, too. And then Bat Dance. There you go. I remember buying the Batman soundtrack and being really disappointed because I didn't realize it was all Prince. No. I wanted the Danny Elfman score at the time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Where am I? Number one? Number one. Matt, what's my number one? I don't know. What is your number one? It's Ash's chainsaw hand. What else would it possibly be? Mm -hmm. Ash Mm -hmm. has lost his hand. It's been possessed, Matt, in Evil Dead 2. And the only way to get rid of it is to cut it off. Mm -hmm. Now he needs to do something to fight this horde of the undead demons. So what does he do? He retrofits basically a chainsaw onto his wrist, mm-hmm. and it's party time, to quote Prince. <laughs> so Ash's Chainsaw Hand is my number one. It's such a great moment. What, Matt? I am, what am I, nine, ten? Sure. Maybe twelve. Watching okay. Evil Dead 2, when that happens, my life is forever changed. So that's my one. Very good. All right, well, my number one, then, is uh, the Captive Bolt Pistol from No Country for Old Men. Um, it's yep. such a strange, weird, yet deadly instrument. Basically, it is a gun under pressurized air that when you put it up against uh, an item, it sends out a bolt, a, a retractable uh, you know, rod that goes through and in and out real quick, leaves no... No ballistics, no fragments, no uh, anything else except the hole, and it confounds people. And it's how they kill cattle in the slaughterhouse. So the yeah. fact that uh, Anton Sugar is walking around with one is uh, just lets you know that you're in for a weird, wild time. Absolutely. You know, they should make slaughterhouses have uh, glass walls. That's how I feel <laughs> about that. Do they? Absolutely. They should probably just, you know kill all the animals just with nitrogen because then they would just fall asleep. They wouldn't even feel like they're suffocating. Just fall asleep and they'd be dead. Mm-hmm. Did you hear the FDA approved um, that lab-grown chicken? Did they? Yeah, I did not know that. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I've been following all the lab-grown meat. It's interesting, though, because a lot of them, they only basically work on one kind of meat. Like, this company only does pork or this company only yeah. does beef. But I, I'm really curious to see it from... What I understand, it tastes very good. It, the, the problem is is the fat because it's hard to grow fat. So then it, it tastes very lean and it can taste a little off because it's basically got no fat in it. Well, that's a problem with like the impossible meats. Yeah, it's so mm. salty and there's so much oil that it's actually, I think, health-wise worse for you. Yeah, it's just as bad. You can get an impossible waspur and it's just as bad other than the fact that, you know, no animals and you're helping the environment and all that kind of stuff. So There you go. That's right, Matt. All right. Good times. Any honorable mentions for you? Uh, yeah. The only one I had that was immediately that came to mind when I was looking at this was John Wick and his pencil and his book. And you could probably throw the entirety of the James Bond series in here. There's probably like six, six, you know, examples in every single movie. Fair. I would uh, also throw in the, uh, you could do the forklift thing from aliens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 The uh, machine gun leg for uh, Rose McGowan and planet oh, terror. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The Icicle from Die Hard 2 is a, right. a good one. I think it was the first time I remember seeing that in a, in a movie. Uh, I was thinking about the oxygen tank in Jaws, but I don't know. 
locks one I found this one online I loved. I forgot about this when the guy gets beaten to death by the dildo and lock stock and two smoking barrels. Right. And then of course, one of my favorite gore fests when I was a kid, uh Dead Alive when he uses the lawnmower on yes. all the undead. Yes, that was a good one. That is a big one, Matt. Good times. All right, folks. What's your favorite non-conventional or unconventional weapon in a movie? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, what's coming up next week on the big show? I don't even know if we know. Uh, so what's on the calendar is The Whale, uh, Brennan Fraser's Tour de Force Return to Form, and apparently, from what I've heard, and Shazam 2. Is that coming out next week? Uh, that is what's on the schedule. Maybe that's what it was planned to come out, but I don't know if it is. If not, we'll call an audible like we always do. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm actually going to peek Matt right now. I'm kind of excited about it. <laughs> Let's see if AMC's got anything listed for Friday yet. Oh, no. No, you know what we're doing. What? Okay. Chris knows I'm not going to like it. That's why he's saying. Oh, wait, no, that's next week. I got, I jumped ahead, Matt. You're okay. It's, it was Avatar, but I jumped too far ahead. I went Mm. a week too, too far. Father Stu Reborn. No, we're not going to do Father (laughs) Stu Reborn. I don't know, Matt. There's like nothing. We could check up with Bones and all, maybe. If it's still out. Yeah. All right, folks, you'll find out when we do. (laughs) In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, Does it everything? Sure. Do a search and then scroll, scroll, scroll for the first run. Search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. I'll get there. And then head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. In the meantime. Oh, wait. You can also go to thefirstrun.com, right? And find yeah, archives of all the old shows, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. That's a fun thing to do. And that's good. Chris, you're running out of things to say. Close it up. Call it a day. Everybody take care of yourselves. We love you very much. We'll see you soon. Take care. Be still, for God's sake. You'll tip us over. So? I cannot swim, you Spanish peacock.